The songs that we've been singing today have been pointing us to the cross and pointing us to this time of communion. And um, I just want to let us know before we get started here, this, this is what the service is about mostly today, communion. It is common that I will give the entire time, uh, sometimes the message, sometimes um, we'll sprinkle music throughout our communion, the observing of the Lord's Supper. We'll do that a little bit today. But having said that, we're not going to take a break from the book of Acts. I'm just going to shorten it. As I looked at what we were approaching in Acts 18, I um, thought, oh, this is a good opportunity to focus on this, and I won't need the same amount of time that I normally do. And so we'll see if you can hold me to that, and we can give ample time this morning to worshiping our Lord through communion. Would you bow with me for prayer? Heavenly Father, I would ask that you would still our minds and still our hearts, that we would be clearly open to what you want to do in this place as we have your perfect, undeniable word. As many that hear this message today, very much so, have the grace that you have given. They're experiencing that. Some have prepared to learn your word today. Some have come in just with a very heavy heart. And there's no doubt in my mind, Father, there's something, that there's something special when your children gather together. And so would you please very clearly be involved in this time of worship today. We thank you that you will do this. We give you the praise and glory for all things that are said and done. Help me not to get in the way. Hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ, the beautiful message of the gospel. May we worship you today during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. We live, in a today, we live in a day today where people are constantly tuning things out and tuning things in. Maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. It is easier, I think, to tune things out. In fact, I think we naturally sometimes fall into that state to tune somebody out or to tune a message out. That happens all the time. Let me go ahead and, and, and put it to you this way. Some of you are engaged right now. You're tuned in. Some of you are halfway tuned in right now, okay? You've kinda, you're kind of there almost. How would your attitude change as far as how tuned in you are if I were to tell you that you would be expected to teach this lesson that I'm about to teach to someone else in the next couple days? How well would you be paying attention? How, how frantically would you be taking notes and listening for the main points? You would be very tuned in and engaged, I would guess. I think tuning in is much harder. I think tuning out is easy. And I'd say all God's people said amen, but some of you are already tuned out, so you wouldn't even keep up when I said that. Tuning out comes naturally. We use the expression white noise sometimes, and there's no doubt when we think of white noise that it fills our areas, doesn't it? Even right here in this room, if I'm quiet for long enough, you'll hear ceiling fans going, You'll hear some electronics that are running. You might hear some lights. You might hear the stomach growl of the person that's next to you if you listen enough. There's so much white noise in this world, and we're good at tuning it out. Let me give you one example of that. I was this past week at home, and I went home for lunch, and as I was sitting there at the table, I was tuning out a lot of white noise. I know that the refrigerator was running, but I didn't hear it. 
I'm fairly confident that our sump pump kicked on at least once during that time when I was home, and I can usually hear that all the way across the house, but I did not hear it. I was tuning these things out. In addition to that, my wife was in the next room over, and as she was in the next room over, she had a, a video playing on the computer, and I was not paying attention to this. I was thinking about my week, things that were coming up, just going through my mental to-do list and whatever I wanted to think about. I was tuning out the message that was playing on her computer, even though it was just uh, the next room over. As I was sitting there and I was tuning out, every once in a while, something caught my ear. It was some kind of a key word that caught my ear and made me tune in. And I tuned out quickly as my practice already was during that time. But after a while, I tuned back in. Because some key words were being said again and again. And very soon I found out that she was listening to an individual who, who was a, I'd say he's a professional speaker, a professional defender of what he believes. I will not say it was necessarily a religious talk that she was listening to, but several things caught my ear. He would say something like the word abortion when he was doing this talk. Well, that made me perk up and listen a little bit. And as I heard his ability to speak and to defend what he believed, there was no doubt in my mind that that was something I was interested in. I literally stood up and walked over, and as I was getting ready to leave that area, I said, this is a talk that I need to listen to, isn't it? Just like that. I didn't know who it was. I didn't know exactly what all the content was. But from this individual who was a powerful speaker, and from the content that he was talking about, I went from a place of being tuned out, which is very, very easy, to tuning in. I actually punched up that talk on my uh, phone, and I listened to it later on. Incredible defender of some values that I hold in the same way that he does. I went ahead to fast forward to another talk that he gave. He actually went on a national news program, Across from a, I won't say a news commentator, but it was a person who ran a new show, and it was a person who was very well known for being able to defend the opposite of what he believed. And I watched this gentleman as he masterfully just defended what he believed. What was one of the great things about the original talk was not that he was getting up and rehearsing his speech that he knew very well and that he had practiced, but he actually was inviting people to come in this community forum, come up to a microphone that opposed him and then question him and go back and forth and back and forth. And it was masterful. And it led me to the point where I said, I need to listen to that one. That's one that I need to pay attention to. You see, we tune in when someone represents something that we value. If there's something that's important to you, you tune in. You automatically make that connection. It's easy to see examples of this. For example, if I'm walking around and I see somebody in our community that's wearing a Chicago Cubs hat, I've automatically got something to talk about that I've not had to talk about for 100 years, right? They won the World Series this year in case you had not heard. When you have something in common with someone, it's very easy to engage with them. I want to challenge us today in this area that you need to be, sometimes at those points where you're tuned out, you need to have key things that will make you tune in. What are those things that should be important to us? 
Now, we're going to be in Acts chapter 18. If you're not already there, go ahead and turn there to Acts 18 at this time. But I want to give you one verse that I'm going to use as a jumping off point. You don't need to turn there. Maybe some of you have it memorized. But I want to use it. Write down the reference, if you will, if you're taking notes. The verse is 2 Timothy 2 and, chap- and verse number 2. 2 Timothy 2, 2 says this, And what you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 2 Timothy 2.2 is the key for believers like you and me to produce other believers. And it doesn't stop there. They are to produce believers that will produce more believers, that will produce more believers, that will produce more disciples, Christians, whatever word you want to use. If you would like a takeaway from our time in Acts today, I would put it as this. I want us to recognize the potential that is in others, even if they need some help. Recognize the potential that you see in others, even if they need some help. And also, be open to getting help yourself. Those are two very different things. Many of you are very, very quick to want to jump in and give somebody what for about what you think, but to look at the other side of that coin and tell myself, how open do I need to be to someone that differs from me? I've had long enough to figure this out, right? I think that all the people that I love and respect agree with me, so how open do I really need to be to listening to correction that someone else might give me? Well, all that to bring us to our text here in Acts chapter 18. We want to look right in this second missionary journey of Paul, and we're coming to the end of it. And we've already talked about Paul being in Corinth. If you remember the time frame, Paul was in Corinth for a year and a half. He gets a break from the persecution that very normally would accompany the gospel. That brings us to verse number 18 of Acts 18. Would you read along with me? I'll read the first few verses to get us started. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At century he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And when he landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Now let's stop right there and and catch ourselves up. I'm not going to jump into a lot of the details here, but there's some, some interesting things we find a Nazarite vow that the Apostle Paul took. I'm not going to go into a lot of the details of that, but if you would like, I've taken the liberty to print off some specifics of that Nazarite vow. There are some in my ABF class, the, the libraries where we meet. If you want a copy of that, it's worth reading to know the difference between what a Nazarite was and a Nazarene. I've even known good Christians who have mixed these up and have gone down a road that they shouldn't have because they weren't educated. It's also interesting that we see the word there, if the Lord wills. That's a wonderful talk in and of itself and ought to be on the tongue of the believer as we talk about where we go and what we're going to do to constantly say, if God wills this, 
we will do that. Paul leaves Corinth. Did you catch that? He leaves Corinth, and he doesn't go alone. Did you see who he took with him? We studied the encouragement of this wonderful couple last time, Aquila and Priscilla. They were a huge help to the Apostle Paul, and so he takes them with him when he goes from Corinth and goes to Ephesus. Now, Paul leaves them there, Aquila and Priscilla. It sounds like a dirty trick to me, right? You guys, why don't you join my group? They go to the next town over and then, okay, you guys, you're staying here. Sorry. I think they would be okay. I'm pretty sure that they were successful enough in their tent-making business that they would be able to do fine with that. And then Paul leaves them. I'm going to rush through this and I'm going to finish the second missionary journey very quickly right here. He leaves them in Ephesus and then he goes to Caesarea and then it says he went up to greet the church. We always find when somebody goes to, to Jerusalem, they're always going up. Now, if you've been there, you know why that is, because Jerusalem is on a hill. It is a city set on a hill. So whenever somebody goes to Jerusalem or up to the church, they're going up to that. And when they leave Jerusalem, they're going down from Jerusalem because of where it was set. Paul goes to the church, and he makes that offer of, that, of his hair, that he had taken all the way to Jerusalem. He, makes, he, he finishes up with that vow. And then he goes to Antioch, which for all purposes has been serving for the jumping off point for his missionary journeys. All right, that's all the history that I want to do. And right there actually ends the second missionary journey. But I want to stop and focus on three individuals for the rest of our time today. You could probably already guess two of them, Aquila and Priscilla. Let me remind us of the relationship that Paul had with Aquila and Priscilla. You'll remember that when he went to Corinth, he was alone. And I have made the point that he needed some friends. Paul needed companionship. And right away, he met Aquila and Priscilla. And these were ones that he moved in with and he worked alongside them. And also, they offered incredible encouragement to the point where he takes them with him on the next missionary journey. And so they were a great help to Paul. But now he leaves them there. The Ephesians requested that Paul stay longer, but catch this, and this is a great thing to say, Paul had enough confidence in these two that he felt he could go and the people were in good hands. And so he sails on. All right, let's spend the rest of our time looking at Aquila and Priscilla and somebody else, a very colorful character that God uses in an incredible way. It's in verse 18:23 that Paul begins that third missionary journey. Look at it with me. After spending some time there, that's Antioch, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So at the beginning of his third missionary journey, he visits the churches that were already started. That's where we're going to leave Paul. Now we're going to go back to this wonderful couple, Aquila and Priscilla. In order for me to make a good connection with you, I need to take us to our main objectives. The main objectives here at Calvary, and maybe some of you can say it with me, they are worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. I didn't make this up. I got it from somebody else who put it in that uh, very unique form, and they didn't make it up either. They got it from God's word, okay? Everything that we do falls underneath either worship, instruction, fellowship, or expression. Let me talk about that area of fellowship just for a little while. I put on here what we'll be teaching this actually in our membership class um, in the next few weeks. But this is how we defined fellowship. We are committing ourselves to one another. 
We accomplish this by praying together, by serving one another, and then I bold printed this, by provoking one another to do good works. And then standing together from all things, from weeping to rejoicing. This is going to come into play when we find Aquila and Priscilla and this next fellow whose name is Apollos. Look with me in verse number 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord Being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Don't miss this. Though he only knew, though he knew only the baptism of John. So here we see this one who is teaching and is preaching. Look look at the first part of verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So here is Apollos. He gets up to speak. He's teaching. You need to understand this was one who was well-educated. He loved God, the God of the Bible, and he was a disciple of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had an incredible influence, and that's what this one knew. And immediately, Aquila and Priscilla are impressed by this young man. They saw him and what he was doing, and they said, my goodness, this is unique. A couple weeks ago, I had somebody come to me and say, hey, Did you hear who's speaking in our area just within a couple hours of here? One of these um, apologists, defenders of the faith, Ravi Zachariah was his name. And they said, somebody that I know, somebody I'm close with is going to get to go and hear him. We play Ravi Zacharias on the radio station. And it's just incredible to go through that and to hear him give a defense, to say what he believes. And you know, he's gifted in that way, but he's studied He's worked. He's perfected it. He knows what he's doing. Even this morning as I was listening to some teaching, Ravi Zacharias had a little spot that came up and I listened to part of his teaching when he was talking about Jesus Christ and talking about what truth is. Some of you have a respect for a well-known Christian apologist. Apollos stood up and he knew what he was doing. I don't know if he took classes on public speaking. I don't know how much he had studied the Old Testament. I don't know how much he had sat underneath John the Baptist, but he was a gifted speaker. He was a deep thinker, and the Bible tells us that he had a a heart that was on fire. It was boiling over is the idea. He was full of enthusiasm. Now, I know a lot of you, I mean, the text is where it's at, so when we get in God's Word, that's good enough for you. We can just, um, you know, go through in whatever way, and that's going to benefit you. There are some people who do appreciate variety. Some people appreciate personality, a little bit of charisma. Some people appreciate a gifted speaker. And I think Aquila and Priscilla saw this one who was a gifted speaker. And I want you to notice how they respond to Apollos and also how Apollos responded to them because that's what we're going to apply to ourselves. Look in the second part of verse 26. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So Apollos had been a disciple of John the Baptist, but here's where his problem was. That was all that he knew. To go ahead and connect this for you, let me ask this question. 
How much did John the Baptist teach about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit? How much did he teach? It was zero, right? John the Baptist was killed before that took place. We understand that. But John the Baptist was an incredible prophet. He was an incredible teacher of God. Apollos is going to fall in a similar category to that because he was in the group of people that were looking for the coming Messiah, all Israel was, and he was taught and believed that this Jesus, he was the coming Messiah, Messiah. only he did not know about Jesus' death and his resurrection and the outpouring of Holy, the Holy Spirit that we focused on earlier in the book of Acts. And so that's what Apollo, where Apollos is at. And Aquila and Priscilla hear this. And let me go ahead and jump into a little bit of application here. We live in a day where we are so quick when we find out that somebody disagrees with us or is not on the same page as us in some areas just to cut them off. And it's a shame. There's an expression in some circles that says we have a a terrible habit of shooting our wounded even when someone falls into sin and goes through a time where they need some encouragement. Too many people, too many Christians will just completely write them off. And that's why it's going to be important for you to be into God's word, to know what it says, to know what the most important things are. Priscilla and Aquila go and put their arm around this young man and they do not scorn. He's speaking publicly, right? Did you catch that? They do not stand up and very clearly say what they knew the truth was. They don't do that in that public setting. Instead, they wait till afterwards. They take him aside in a loving, Christ-like way. They don't reject him, but instead they admonish him and encourage him. They took this young man aside and ministered him like Jesus would have. We need to be willing to do that. And also, here's the other side of that, we need to be willing to be open to correction. At what point in your walk with Jesus Christ are you no longer in a place where you need to be open to correction from somebody else? I would submit to you that until we reach glory, we are always learning and we are always able to learn something. I love the expression that I heard in the past few years that everyone that you're talking to, everyone, has something to say that you don't know. You need to tune in to listen for that and to learn. What was Apollos' response? This great and mighty speaker sat humbly next to these tent makers and took it in. Look at verse number 27 with me. Wait, let's uh, jump back. Uh, yeah, verse, verse 27. And when he wished to cross into Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And so we find Apollos here, and Priscilla and Aquila take him aside, and he receives their instruction. Now, just before we close up and and get a little more specific with what we can do with this, let me talk about Apollos. Because they were patient with him, because they encouraged him in a beautiful, clearly Christ-led way, what kind of impact was Apollos able to have? 
In just a few moments, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians where we get the most clear explanation of the Lord's Supper. And in the book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 3, the Bible says this, the apostle Paul writes to them, Paul was thought of very well. Some people were even putting Paul too high. I'm an apostle of Paul. Let me read verses 4, 5, and 6 of 1 Corinthians 3. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow who? Do you know it? Apollos. Are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Do you see what this one went on to do? He went on to impact in an incredible way for the gospel of Jesus Christ, where Paul references him there. There were some people that saying, I'm of Apollos. He had incredible influence. He had an incredible gift. And that came to be because two people saw him and did not say because of his shortcomings, because he had not heard the best part of the story yet. They didn't say, we're going to wipe you out. We're going to cross you off. They said, we're going to help you with this. Apollos became one of the great ambassadors for God. In fact, we have one book of the Bible that we do not, uh, of the New Testament, I should say, that we do not know who the author is for sure. Some people have guesses, but there's one book in the New Testament that we're not sure who wrote that. We can't know for sure, but Martin Luther, many years ago, gave a very strong opinion as to who he thought wrote the book of Hebrews, and he felt very strongly that it was Apollos who wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, we cannot know that for certain, but there's no doubt that Martin Luther had great, um, great ad- admiration for this one. What can you and I do with this? What are we supposed to do with these three characters that we really don't talk about all that much? Well, very quickly and very easily, I want to challenge us today to encounter Christians around us that might need some help with patience. You need to encounter those that are around you. You need to encourage them. Let me say one word about this. Years ago, um, I came here to Calvary, and I was a youth pastor in the area, and I was having lunch with the youth pastor here at Calvary. His name was Todd Salstrom. How many of you know Pastor Todd? Raise your hand. All right. When I talked with Todd, and I didn't know him that well, um, it's amazing how somebody will say something, and even a decade or decades later, it will stick in your mind. Here's what Pastor Todd said to me during that time that I will never forget, I think. He said to me, when I came to this area and I was here at the church, there were a group of guys that came and encouraged me and surrounded me, other youth pastors, other guys, and they were friends, and they were encouragers. And that was wonderful. And there was another group, and they had nothing to do with me. And I was wanting to have something to do with them, but they had nothing to do with me. And so who do you think Pastor Todd was encouraged by and fellowshiped with and helped sharpen them as they helped sharpen him? This group of individuals that saw him and took him in, even if he needed some help in some way. And maybe you know better than I do if he needed help or not. Maybe you have different opinions about that. Having said that, let me encourage you with this. You need to encounter people around you with patience. Do not cut them off. Kick the dust of your feet off and then walk away. Encourage them to be something that is incredible for our God. And then number two, and it's the other side of that coin, realize that others who might need to be patient with you, realize that others 
are going to be able to help you. The, the idea, if you're taking notes, um, you need to be open to correction. Be open to learning in your journey. And realize that God will bring somebody along who perhaps right away there's, you stiffen up a little bit. When you have a difference with someone, we stiffen up, we tighten up. And I have come to find out that differences are a huge mark for the devil to cause division. But I've also come to learn this. Differences in believers are a huge mark for the Lord Jesus Christ to produce something that is amazing. He has no desire to have only one small kind of person in his church that will reach only that kind of person. When we look in the scriptures, we find God reaching out to fishermen, reaching out to physicians, to entrepreneurs, to tax collectors, to people that could stand up and defend what they believe. God reached out to all of these, and it had an incredible impact, and that's what we need to do. You need to be patient with those around you, and also you might, need, you might be in a place where you need to understand that folks are having to be patient with you. And here's the phrase that I'll say sometime. Well, perhaps someday they'll get it. Maybe someday they'll understand. And I praise God for the people who are patient with me. The men and the women who looked at my life and would see that and say, holy smokes, a clear demonstration of the grace of God there in Jeremy. And they would say, hang on a second. Let's be patient. And even when I let them down, they did not give up. This is the definition of our fellowship, from weeping to rejoicing. What can you do for someone in encouraging them? And also, what place might you be able to be at where you can be encouraged? I'm going to bring this right back to the cross because that's what it's about. I'm going to ask our um, uh, pianist to come at this time. And I wanted to sing this song. We'll sing a few songs um, when we do communion, there's a few songs that we know, like the old rugged cross. Don't some of you love that song, the old rugged cross? And at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. We're gonna sing a song that's a newer song, but there's no doubt in my mind that God has used this to a time to lead us to communion. I'm gonna ask our men that are serving if they would stand and come forward at this time. And we're gonna sing this song, The Power of the Cross, as we prepare our hearts. I'm gonna ask 